Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the college and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. John chapter 5. Jesus talks about coming again and the dead being raised, which is our hope in the resurrection, which is uh, the great climax of things to come after uh, Christ returns. So turn to John chapter 5. There's Bibles on the table, and you're also free to use your cell phone or a Bible app, whatever you need to do. Turn to John chapter 5, starting towards the end, uh, verse 25. Jesus starts off um, like he does a lot of times. He says, very truly, I tell you. So he's like, listen up. This is serious business. He often, uh, right before saying something very important, will say, listen to this. Truly, I tell you. Very truly, I tell you. 25 says, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear it will live. So who's the Son of God? Jesus. There's, there's a time coming when, when people will hear his voice, and it has now come. I mean, he's talking to them. He's saying, and there's, there's some mystery here. It's like the Lord is speaking, the Son of Man is speaking, and so people are hearing his voice, but then there will be another time when others will hear his voice. Listen, verse 26 says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority because he is the Son of Man. And, and so they must have been amazed. In verse 28 says, Do not be amazed by this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. That's interesting. Don't you think all those that have died, all those that are dead, will hear the voice of the Son of Man? Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Jesus will come back and the dead will hear his voice. Verse 29 says, And come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. It's like, wait, what is he talking about? The dead, the people that are in the graves will A, hear the voice of God, and then B, come out of the graves to rise and to live. And those who have done what is evil will will also rise, will rise to be condemned. Verse 30, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. Let's pray this morning. God, there's a mystery here of your words um, speaking about coming back and the dead being raised and those being raised to judgment and then judgment, some to everlasting life and some to eternal uh, punishment. And Lord, as we consider these words, as we consider something very important in, in your gospel, very important is this concept, this theological notion of judgment to come God, enlighten us. Give us wisdom and understanding. Help us to understand judgment in the way that you want us to understand it. And so we love you, Father. We do praise you. We know you are a good, all-loving, all-merciful God. And everybody said, amen. So we're on this topic of death and the afterlife. And uh, most people, we've been saying all this month, uh, actually all last month, this month we're going to continue the series. It's going to be a two-month series. We've been saying over and over again that, that so many Americans, especially so many young Americans, just totally ignore death. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to think about it. And that should not be. So we are diving head in into this topic and actually taking two months to talk about it. And so I wanted to open up with a story because this morning, um, not only do, do most Americans and young people ignore death, also 
they ignore the subtopic of judgment in death or judgment in the afterlife. So today's topic is really taboo. And I I want to make this argument and, and we'll make this argument throughout speaking this morning that judgment is actually a good thing. And if you don't believe me, we'll keep listening and maybe you will hear that theme enough to be like, okay, I think I understand what he's saying enough that in using some scripture to show that judgment is actually a good thing. So I have a story. Uh, Open up with a story about a Spider-Man watch. I think I told this story like three years ago. Anybody remember me telling this story? Oh, a couple hands. Good. Um, After I told this story like three years ago, someone went out and bought me a Spider-Man watch um, because I ended up losing it in the story. But you don't need to do that. It's not really about the Spider-Man watch as it is about judgment. And I'm going to argue that judgment is actually a good thing. So imagine yourself like me, a little kid. I think I was in first grade, first or second grade. I had the coolest Spider-Man watch ever. It wasn't this one, but it looked something like this one. Um, it had the hands. It had the rubber band, rubber uh, band uh, like the straps. Uh, had Spider-Man on it. I just thought it was so cool because I like Spider-Man. It's like wow, how great! And I wore it to school for the first time, and people were like, "Ooh, Joe, cool Spider-Man watch, bro!" And I was like, "Ooh, thanks, great!" And I felt so cool that I had a Spider-Man watch. And it was like my new thing. And you know, when you're a kid and you have a new toy, you're showing it off, and you think it's so cool, and all the other kids want one and they love it. Well, there was this kid that sat next to me. I think his name was Mikey, and Mikey must have saw the watch. Mikey must have wanted the watch because the watch went missing. And I look over, uh, I forget how long it was, maybe it was like after lunch. In my head, it's just so emotional that I've just, you know, blocked out most of the memory. Um, but I look over and Mikey is wearing my Spider-Man watch. I can't find my watch. I'm kind of freaking out. I look over, Mikey is wearing my Spider-Man watch. And I'm like, this my watch. I'm like, just like inside and outside. Mikey, give me my watch. He's like, No. This is my watch. I'm like, give him a watch. I'm totally freaking out because he has my watch, as kids do. And finally, I'm just like, raise my hand, teacher. And I'm sure she's trying to teach some lesson. And I'm like, just panicking in the back and freaking out. I was like, teacher, teacher, teacher. Like doing the hand hold with your hands. Like, oh, help. And the teacher comes over and is like, what in the world is going on? And up until this point in my life, uh, when teachers were called upon, when parents were called upon, when adults were called upon, they usually almost always made the situation right. I had good experiences as a kid. I wasn't abused as a kid. I wasn't um, taken advantage of as a kid. I just had really good, like the like teacher is going to come over and the teacher is going to make the situation right. That's my watch. The teacher is going to do something and then the teacher is going to give me back my watch. Easy, no brainer. That's just, I knew that was going to happen. And that turns out to not have happened. Teacher comes over. It's like, what's going on back here? Why is everybody freaking out? And I'm like, well, he's got my watch. It's my Spider-Man watch with the hands and the things and it's red. It's my watch. And Mikey said, no, this is my watch. And teacher says, give me the watch. So she takes it. She's holding it. It's like, whose watch is it? And we're both like, mine, mine. It's my watch. Um, And it really was my watch. The little punk stole it. Um, And and we're both like, mine, mine. And teacher says, okay, I, I don't know what to do here. And Mikey said, well, I know what's written on the back of it. 
the little punk had like memorized what was on the back. And she, so the teacher's like, well, what's on the back? And he, whatever it was, he knew it. He was like Marvel Comics made in China or something. And she said, Joe, do you know what's written on the back? And I was like, I have no idea. I haven't been looking at the back of it. I've just been adoring the face of it and, and loving the watch. I don't know what's on the back. And so the teacher was like, well, I guess it's Mikey's watch. And so she gave it to Mikey. <clears throat> I lost a watch that day. And what the teacher was supposed to be a good, like all-knowing teacher to know and read this situation. And she didn't. She judged wrong. And I lost the watch. And then later that day, uh, Mikey had took a permanent marker and written all down the band Mikey's Watch. <laughs> so it's like now I don't even want the watch anymore. I, and so as a kid, I was just so it was, it was in my memory. It's like the first time uh, a teacher was involved, or a parent, or someone who was supposed to judge the situation, and they didn't judge it correctly. And I lost the watch, and what a sad day for little Joe, right? Oh, and so so. Anyways, the, the story isn't really about the watch. I could do without. Spider-Man watches now that I've come to a point in my life where I don't need a Spider-Man watch. But as a memory, I just remember, like, gosh, that little kid, like, that situation was not right. A, a judge, the teacher, came into the situation and did not judge correctly. And that is not how our Lord and Savior, Jesus, will judge. He is a good judge, and he is an all-knowing judge. And he will judge uh, in, without... Uh, with, with like imparti- without impartiality. He will judge uh, according to what people have done, and he will really know with all knowledge how people should be judged. And so judgment, in that, a good judgment is a good thing. And so let's continue with this topic, but first a couple announcements before we, we dive in uh, further to this judgment and the afterlife. So Welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're new, I met a couple of new people already uh, today. We do have a guest card if you want to fill it out. Really, no strings attached. Uh, we're not going to put you on an email list for your entire life if you don't want to be on one. If you do want to be on one, check the box, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll send you emails and tell you more about the College and 20-somethings ministry. We'll tell you more about New Life. Brady uh, Boyd will send emails every once in a while. So fill out the card. There should be a couple on every table. And, and then as you leave, bring it to the back, and we'll have some nice people there to, to meet you. And to give you a gift, we have, a, what do we have, Brady Boyd's book. He's our senior pastor. He wrote a book uh, called Addicted to Busy. So we'll give, give you that as a gift. And we also have a CD for you of our worship band, just as a gift. No strings attached, truly. So uh, do that if you're new and you want some more information. And then as far as uh, some upcoming events for you, kind of save the date kind of things. Uh, does anybody like doing corn mazes? Okay, me too. We're going to do a corn maze together uh, on Wednesday, October 8th. Write that down. It's going to be a couple bucks. We're going to meet here at New Life Church. We're going to drive uh, all the way down to Canyon City where they have corn, apparently. They, I guess they grow corn down there. And we're going to do a corn maze. And it's not like a scary corn maze where like there's demons chasing you with chainsaws. Someone was like, it's not that kind of corn maze, is it? And I was like, no, we wouldn't bring you to that. Uh, we're not about the, the, the Freddy Kruegers and the things like that, the demonic stuff. So it's, it's, it's just a good, wholesome, fun corn maze thing. So Join us. Put that on your calendar. We would love to have you join us. We're going to just, it's just kind of a fun get to know you thing. We'll, we'll, we'll go down there. We'll do a corn maze. We'll eat something. We'll come back. Uh, just a fun evening together. And then, drum roll, please. All right. We have the dates for our winter retreat. 
uh, we did a winter retreat last year. We're going to do a winter retreat again uh, the last weekend of January. Save the dates. Uh, put them on your calendar. Uh, I imagine some of you need to get those dates off of work. We'll, we'll leave a Friday night, probably like 5 or 6 p.m. We'll meet up in Woodland Park where we went last year, Golden Bell. And then all day Saturday and Sunday morning, we will uh, worship the Lord, learn about the Lord together, um, and have a ton of fun. So that's our winter retreat coming up this winter. So save the date as of now. More, lots more details to come, like the theme and all that. So let's get started with um, a review. We have been talking about death and the afterlife for a whole month now. We have keep putting up this slide to kind of compare what the world says about death and the afterlife compared to what Christian theology says about death and the afterlife. And so all five of these things are things that pop secular culture says about death. And we would say uh, pretty much the opposite about each and every one of these. Secular uh, culture says that death is just natural, meaning that it's, it's always been that way. It will always be that way. Life and death are hand in hand. And, and we as believers look at the text of scripture and say, that's not the way it was created. Life, life was meant to be eternal. And, and then death and sin enters the world and then things change. And in the end, uh, we will die, but we will be raised again and have eternal life. So, so it's not natural in the sense that it has always been that way or will always be that way. Uh, popular secular culture says we should just ignore death. And we would say again and again, no, of course not. That's absurd. That's silly. Number three, uh, popular non-Christian thoughts about death is that it's just a total end. Once you die, that's it. No more, forever and ever. And we as Christians would say, no, open up the text. There's life after death. And then we've been talking about how there's going to be life after the afterlife, which is kind of a riddle that we'll talk about later. Um, Number four, the body and the soul will be separated forever. Kind of pop, non-Christian says, uh, culture says, as soon as you die, your, your body and your spirit leave each other, and then you just spend all of eternity floating around in the clouds. I think a lot of Christians even just believe that, and that's not fully correct. We do believe our great hope is in the resurrection of our bodies, where our body and our soul will be reunited again, and it'll be a new body, an incorruptible body. And what will that look like? Well, that's another week to come. And number five is death, I think, from the popular, secular, non-Christian world is fear. Like people fear death. It's kind of paired with number two, that people ignore death to the point and that when it happens uh, to people around them, when it happens to them, when they know they're going to die, uh, there's so much fear that comes with it. And we are not, we have not been given a spirit of fear, Romans 8, 15 says, but we've received uh, a spirit of joy. uh, If we do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. And so last week we talked about something called the intermediate states. And I think that was a surprise to a lot of you um, because you thought, I think so much of pop culture, so much pop American Christian culture says that as soon as you die, you either go to heaven or hell for all eternity. That's it. No more to the afterlife. And as we've studied and gone a little deeper than that, uh, we've said that, well, there's truth in that. But there's a little bit more. We should talk about a little bit more because the great thing we're all looking forward to is the resurrection. And if we're waiting for the resurrection, well, then we continue with this waiting, I'm using the air quotations, until the resurrection. So I made for you, I probably should have done this last week because I had a lot of blank stares and people really confused about what I was saying. Uh, I probably should have made something like this last uh, week to show you, but it's a chart. 
So at the top is death. At death, at the moment of death, um, we enter into something that a lot of theologians call an intermediate state. And we can call that, see the air quotations? Well, my air quotations, there's our little, literal quotations. Um, heaven and hell. And so we could talk about, well, at death, we either enter heaven or hell. If you want to call it that, you could call it heaven or hell. You could call it the intermediate states. I think that's a little more specific and, and gives a little more hope to the resurrection. But whatever, you, whatever happens after death, whether you want to call it heaven or hell, whether you want to call it an intermediate state, whether you want to call it a waiting, whether you want to call it, well, a taste of heaven or a taste of the hell that will to be to come, um, th- those things are all decent ways of thinking about it because the resurrection is what Christ talks about the most. It's, it's throughout the, the text of Scripture that in death there will be the resurrection of the dead. And I think next, not next week, but the week after, we will talk finally about the resurrection and give a lot more details uh, about the resurrection that is to come. So the dead will be raised. All of everybody, everybody that's dead will be raised from the dead. And I'll give you a bunch of scriptures to show you this. Um, And then there's judgment. And then after judgment, there is, uh, I guess you could say, the real heaven or hell, the eternal heaven or hell. Is this a new way of thinking about the afterlife to you? Because most people, I think if we're honest, would, would say uh, that, that if you're an American Protestant Christian, you would just say, well, once you die, it's either heaven or hell for all eternity, and that's it. There's no more. There's like, uh, I've even asked people, I've I, I met a, a really great Christian, an evangelist, uh, a leader of the Lord, um, really knows his stuff. And we were talking about the afterlife and he was talking about heaven and hell, heaven and hell, just mentioning heaven and hell. And I finally said, well, what about the resurrection? And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, what do you mean? What do I mean? Like the resurrection, like the, the, the life of the world to come when the dead are raised. And he was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That, 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 I'm not sure about that, but that happens. And then yeah, whatever. But it was, it was like a, just kind of pushed off as like a subtopic. And it's like, that shouldn't be the subtopic. Resurrection is what we are all waiting for. That is what Jesus talks about. He's the resurrection and the life. And the dead will be raised. And that's our great hope. Again and again and again throughout Scripture, it's not just escaping to heaven or hell. It's being raised from the dead. So more about that to come. Uh, Here's a discussion question for you. Because I imagine a lot of you saw that, that chart I just put up and you're like, that's kind of new to me. I haven't heard it put just like that. So is this, so talk about this at, a, at your table, is this a new way of thinking about the afterlife for you? If so, how is it? So would you discuss that at your table? Ready? Get set? Discuss. Okay, if I could interrupt your conversation. How many of you would say, the tables that I walked around to were kind of like, yeah, this is kind of new. How many of you would say, this is kind of new. We don't really talk about it in this way. Good. How many of you are like, this is the oldest thing I've ever heard. This is like boring because I've already heard it so much. (laughs) Anybody? (laughs) Nobody. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't have put it in that exaggerated of terms. So let's look back at this. So um, my boy Spencer and I were talking and so he, we were like, okay, if, there's a, if we die and then go to heaven because we are with Christ, because we are believers and we trust in him, and it's, Paul says to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus tells the thief on the cross, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So if, if after you die, you go to heaven with the air quotations, where are you? 
Um, and, and this is where it gets interesting because you're, where's your, if, when you die, it's not a trick question, where is your body? Bur- either buried or cremated or it's your body's dead. Uh, your your, your, your uh, family gets together, they have a service, they either cremate you and bury you or they uh, just bury you and, and the, there's a service. So where's your body? Well, your body's in the ground, it's, you're dead. But where is your spirit or soul? Um, your, your spirit, your soul... Um, and, then, and then it's like a whole big debate as, as to whether it's like our, our, we are body, spirit, soul, or just body and spirit, or body, spirit, soul, mind. And I'm going to leave that debate for another time. But in death, where's your body? Your body's in the ground. Where's your soul? Your, your soul is in heaven. And we're waiting for the resurrection. And that's when our bodies that are dead and in the ground are reunited with our spirit or our soul. And that's what we're looking forward to. That's what Christ talks about when it says the dead are raised, when it talks about the, the sea and Hades and death giving up their dead. He's talking about a physical resurrection. And we'll talk more about this resurrection in two weeks. So if you're like, how do you know all that? Where does it say that in the Bible? Well, we'll get to that. And it's, the, the hint is that it's the same thing that happened to Jesus. Jesus is the first Reborn, He's the first of the resurrected of the dead. And he will come back and we will be raised to life. And it's a physical thing. It's a bodily thing. And you're like, well, that sounds kind of weird because what if you've been dead like a couple hundred years? Isn't your body just kind of crumbly? Yes, but you'll be remade just like in the beginning when, when Adam was, was brought out of the dust and remade. And, and Paul talks about this metaphor this analogy that as a seed is planted and then it's raised, it's raised imperishable. The perishable is put into the ground and the imperishable is raised. So hopefully I'm making a little bit more sense if this is new because I know a lot of you raised your hands. And so some of you are just like, what in the world is this guy talking about? This sounds heretical. Um, well, it's in the Bible and I have a lot of passages to show you. Um, so in death, your body and your spirit are separated. And then there will be a resurrection where your body and your spirit come back together and it's remade and it's new and it's awesome and it's imperishable. And then there's judgment. And then eventually there's a heaven and a hell where your, your body, like it's a physical place, it's a physical thing, and lots more about that to come. So then we discuss that, and uh, let's see. Now we're to the judgment. The judgment that happens. Hold on, I skipped one slide ahead. The judgment to come. In the Nicene Creed, uh, the, this creed that we are studying as a big church, after you leave here, you're, if you're new, we all go to the 11 o'clock service together. Uh, Brady Boyd is, actually it's Stephanie Henderson, where we're on this series of the Nicene Creed, which I think I'm lying to you now, because I think Stephanie Henderson is going to do a kind of an offset series and, and leave our creed series for, for one week. So anyways, r- random bunny trails for you. Um, but in the creed, here's the point. Um, it says that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So when Christ returns, and so whatever you believe eschatologically, whether you're a left behind fan or you're premillennial or you're postmillennial, whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, whatever, like the, the, the people, Christians love to get into the eschatology stuff and talk about the blood moons. We love to talk about and debate like what's the mark of the beast, whatever that is. Uh, one of the, the for sures is that Christ will return. And when he returns, he will judge the living, those that are already alive, and he will judge the dead. And there'll be a resurrection because we look for the resurrection and the life in the world to come, as the creed says. 
So this wonderful thought of being returned to our bodies, that in death we will be separated from our bodies, we'll be spirits, be souls. I don't know how that looks. Uh, I remember as a kid asking my mom endless questions about this, and I'm sure annoying her. But I was like, what, what color is the soul? Where does the soul go? Does, it, does the soul float? And my mom was like, I don't know these things. Go talk to the church people. Um, but, but eventually, after the soul is dead, the body is dead, the soul is with God, because without the body you are present with the Lord, there will be a resurrection of the dead, and you'll be reunited with your body, And it'll be a new body. It'll be an incorruptible body. Paul talks about this. If you want to sneak ahead and take a look at this, if this is really interesting to you, read 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. So we raise from the dead. Our bodies will come out of the graves. Our bodies will come out of this place of the dead and will be reunited with our bodies. Because some theologians have said, well, that's that's a a fairer way to do it because in our bodies, whenever we sinned, we, we always sin with our body and our soul. So why would we be judged without our body? Like every sin that we do, even if it's in the mind, there's synapses going and we're in the body as we sin. So we're reunited, our bodies and our souls are reunited, and then we go to judgment. And here's some of the passages that talk about this. Uh, Revelation 20, if you want to turn there, you can, starting in verse 11. It's towards the end of the book of Revelation, the end of the very Bible. It talks about the dead being raised and judgment happening. So think about that in this context, and you're like, oh, that, that makes sense. I guess I've never thought about it that way, that the dead, the, the dead will be in the place of the dead, then there'll be a resurrection, and then there'll be a judgment. Verse 11 says, uh, then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his present earth and the sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead, and those who were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades, this, like, this metaphor here, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death and the lake of, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So, so what is this? Lots of, lots of imagery here, lots of metaphor. It's, it's this um, metaphor of the dead being raised, or this imagery, maybe is a better word, imagery of the dead being raised and then judged. Um, here's another passage. Some of you are probably more familiar with this one. It's the passage of the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Um, verse 31 in, in Matthew 25 says that when the Son of Man comes in glory, so he's going to come again to judge the living and the dead. That's what the Nicene Creed said. That's, and we, that's Nicene Creed says that because the Bible says that so clearly again and again and again. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will uh, sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd shepherds sheep and goats. And it goes on. It's quite a long passage to say that he separates sheep on one side, the goats on the other, and says, you sheep, come enter into the, your reward 
Because when you saw me hungry and thirsty, you fed me. And they, and they say, well, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? And, well, whenever you saw the least of these hungry and thirsty and you fed them and, and gave them drink, you did that for me. Come into everlasting glory. And then he tells the goats who are on the other side. Like, what? You did not help me when I was thirsty or in need or in naked or in prison. You didn't help me. It's like, when, Lord, did we see you in hungry or thirsty? It's like, well, whenever you saw someone, at least of these, you did that to me. And so enter into your everlasting punishment. Verse 45, it says, Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me. Verse 46, And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. One more passage, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. If you want to turn there, it's a very short uh, one, one sentence. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, um, what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Which brings us to this... Um, I imagine you see, if you see judgment like most people, most Americans see judgment, they see it as a not good thing. It's like, oh, you're going to be judged. That doesn't sound nice. That sounds horrible. That sounds like um, standing in a courtroom and, and a judge throwing down judgment, and that seems like a very bad thing. But once again, I'm going to try to argue that judgment is a good thing. And I have to do that by separating human judgment versus God's judgment. Humans do not know everything, and when a human, another human judges you, they're judging without the full knowledge of everything going on. And oftentimes, humans, just your friends, people don't even know, like to point at you and judge you because it builds them up a little bit. This, just this week, me and my friend, uh, I don't know if John Shea is in here, we were hanging out, eating lunch, and he was telling me that he, a friend called him because uh, his friend was bow hunting, and his friend shot an elk, and then John was invited to go help find, track down the elk, and he was just telling me about trying to find the elk and blah, blah, blah. And then this guy comes up to us and just says, hey, do you guys know how horribly wrong bow hunting is? I just want you to know that, I mean, I'm sure you already know just how horrible of a thing it is and how you should never do that, right? And he was like pointing his finger at us. And we're just like, uh, and John just said, yes, sir. And the guy walked away. He's like, he didn't even know us. Like, and, and we, like, we weren't even the ones bow hunting. He was just like judging us for something we didn't even do. He was just telling me that he helped track uh, an, an elk that had been shot. And it just like this feeling of judgment is like, dude, I wasn't even bow hunting. I wasn't even there. I don't even, he's like pointing his finger at me, judging me and telling me that I must know how wrong this thing is. And humans do that to other humans. Our friends do that. Our enemies do that. We, we judge other people and say, well, at least we're not like them. You know, they're, they're idiots. They're sinners. They're horrible. And, and they deserve, you know, horrible things. They deserve judgment. But but we always think about ourselves. Like, oh, like, we're, we're, we're so good. Like, we had reasons for what we did. But um, So think about that. Think about um, separating the judgment of humanity and the judgment of God. And surely this has happened to you at some point. But can you think of a time uh, you were judged unfairly? So I imagine if it's another human, well, then at some point it's unfair because they didn't know the whole situation. So think about that. Discuss it at your table just briefly. Ready, Gazette? Discuss. If I could uh, interrupt your conversations, uh, how many of you had a story at your table? 
Lots of hands. Yeah, we've all been judged. And some, most of these stories, we could, they're hopefully far, far enough in the past that we could kind of just laugh and joke about. But people love to judge other people. And because human judgment is not all-knowing, of course it falls short of a true good judgment. But here's the argument. Judgment from God is good. And it doesn't, I mean, I, I read that statement and I imagine in your mind, you're like, that doesn't sound good. Judgment doesn't sound good. But a God who is loving, a God who is merciful, a God who knows everything is a good judge. And judgment is good. I'll continue the argument. I've only been before a judge, um, like a judge in a court one time. Has anybody ever been before a judge in a court? Oh, so many hands. Nice. Um, great. We're all criminals here. Um, so I was in a little, it was just like a, our, my car and another car just like rubbed together. I was taking uh, a right-hand turn and a car, oncoming car was taking a left-hand turn and we had, a, we, I didn't really see them. I don't think they really saw me. And our cars just kind of rubbed uh, at, the, at the other end of the intersection. And so because there was like some paint that had been rubbed off, uh, the other driver said, I'll call the police. And so they called the police. And it took a really unusual time for the police to get there. And in hindsight, I think that they called one of their like brothers who was a policeman. And this guy came over because it, like, it's just pretty simple traffic laws. Like I shouldn't have been the one to have gotten a ticket. They should have gotten the ticket. But I somehow got a ticket for running a red light, which wasn't even, I didn't even do. And they didn't get a ticket. And so I asked the policeman, like, wait, if, if I'm getting a ticket for a red light, wouldn't they also have to have ran a red light for us to collide over here? And he was like, well, you have to work that out in the courts. And I was like, that's a weird, this is just a weird interaction. And it's like 10 years ago, and thinking back, I'm like, they must have just called a policeman that they knew, and the policeman came and, and gave me a ticket and didn't give them a ticket. It was just a weird situation. I could talk more about it because that's one of the things I like to do. Um, but So I had to go to court. And so I'm, I went to court. It was my first time going to court. My mom and dad were with me to support me. I had like a little tie on and a suit. This is back when I was like 19 or 18. Uh, so I'm standing in the courtroom waiting, and it was like a certain time the court started, but what I didn't realize was like, they didn't get to the traffic stuff until like two hours later. So I'm sitting there watching, uh, the court proceedings and there was like the, the, the criminals in orange and the cuffs come out first. And the judge does all those, uh, like cases first. And the judge was kind of like, uh, did anybody watch like judge Judy, just kind of like sassy, sassy pants. And the judge was just like, like very straightforward and just could like see through any kind of story that people were saying. And uh, so like one of them was like, was like cuffed up and he's like, oh, these cuffs hurt so bad. I can't go on. And the judge was just like, all right, we'll postpone till tomorrow. Boom. And then he's like, what? It's like, great. Another night in jail for that poor guy. Or another guy was like, uh, like missed his other court appearance. Uh, and was supposed to be in court, but didn't go to court. And so, so the judge was like, why didn't you show up? And he's like, well, I couldn't get a ride. And the judge was like, well, why don't you take the bus? And the guy was like, uh, well, uh, he's like, what? Well, like fees, hundred dollars, late fees. It's like, wow. So then I am like, just like scared to death as a little 18, maybe you're 18 or 19, but that's not that little. Um, but I, looking back, because I'm 37 now, I was like, oh, I was just a little kid. My parents are with me. I had a little tie on, never wear ties. And I was just so nervous. So I stand before the judge, and I'm just, yes, sir, no, sir, 
uh, kind of thing. And he's like, I'm looking at this case here. And it looks like you were taking the right-hand turn and the other prisoner was taking the left-hand turn. So what's the deal here? Why, did, why, why didn't they get the ticket? And I was like, yes, sir, that, that's what I thought they should get a ticket to. Um, and he, the, the judge was just, he was kind to me. Um, and he, he was very straightforward. But because I presented myself with like, yes, sir, no, sir, maybe I had the tie on. He could see that I was waiting with my parents. Um, he kind of just like lower, he, he probably saw that I was just scared to death. Um, um, he was just nice to me. And he was like, well, I'm, I'm looking here at the, the, this case and it just, something's not adding up here. Why, why you got a ticket and they didn't get a ticket. Now these fines and these points, uh, would it be okay with you if I just, uh, removed all the fines and all the fees? And I said, yeah, that, that would be great. And so done. Okay. You're free to go. And I was like, wow, that was, that was cool. That was a great experience. That was a good judge kind of with impartiality, looking at the situation and saying, well, it doesn't look like you did anything that wrong here to, to, to have a fine and to have points. And so removed. Cool. That's great. Which brings us to the nerd alert of the day. Thank you. Um, that judgment is, um, and that this gets into very serious theological stuff. So I try, I'll try not to make light of this, but the problem of evil is talked about and re-talked about amongst theologians in, endlessly. And it's not just like this theological thing that's off high in the sky. Like This is when you ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is it that, that if God is all-powerful, why wouldn't he have stopped this bad thing from happening? Or if God is um, really good, why would he allow this really bad thing to happen? That's the problem of evil. And you could research it and look at it, and you begin to realize this is a huge theological problem. If we as Christians believe in an all-powerful, all-good God, well, then why is there evil? But one of the answers, and we'll use the quotations, because it's not it's not really an answer, but it's, it's a theme in helping us talk about the problem of evil, is that even though there's bad things happening here on this earth, uh, people are getting tickets, people are getting hurt, people, there's abuse, people are getting things stolen from them, bad people are taking advantage of good people, um, there's, there's even things that like floods and fires and natural disasters, there's bad things happening on this earth. In the end, there will be judgment. And everything that has been wrong will be made right. We will all stand before God and be judged. And, and I want to argue, and I have been arguing, that this is actually a good thing. If you've ever been taken advantage of and that person got away with it, well, one of the themes in answering the problem of evil is, well, that person will stand before the Lord, and that person will have to give an account for what they did. And this is a good thing because it's the great writing of all wrongs. The cover of your notes is like a, it's got some musical notations. It's got a river and a tree if you're looking at it. And I put that as the cover because it represents um, this beautiful theme in Psalm 98. You can turn to Psalm 98 if you want to. It's, it's maybe one of my new favorite psalms. But it, it talks about joy, like the whole of creation brimming over with joy, like the rocks are singing, the, the rivers are clapping their hands with joy. Why? Why in the world is everything so joyful? Well, it's because the judge is coming to judge. Listen to it. Uh, Psalm 98 verse 4 says, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. 
burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with the trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn, like the, the shofar, like like it's joyful and everything, everybody's smiling and all of creation is singing in joy of the Lord, the King. Verse 7, let the sea resound and everything in it, like the whales and the octopuses, everything has joy. Like why? Why is there so much joy? Why is all of creation so joyful? Verse 8, let the rivers clap their hands, the mountains that you can see kind of in the background if you could see through the fog. Um, Let the mountains sing with joy. Let them sing before the Lord. Like, why? Why all this joy? Why all this singing? Why all this wonderful talk of all of creation being so happy? Verse 9, let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth, and he will judge the world in righteousness, and the peoples with equity. Equity is fairness, impartiality. All of creation is, is waiting, expecting all of the dead, all of the living, all of this world is waiting. And when the judge comes, joy will resound. All of creation. I don't even know what that means, that the rivers will clap their hands. It's a metaphor. The mountains will sing together for joy. All of creation in this metaphor is so joyful. Why? Because the judge has come to judge. And that is a very wonderful, that is a very Beautiful thing. That's a very good thing. So as we conclude today, um, so what do we do in light of this judgment? Knowing that a judgment is coming, that in death we will rise from the dead and we will all stand before the one who has created us and we will be judged. Some of us are thinking, well, well, I've done some wrong. What, what do I do with that? Well, I want to close with um, giving you just a quick reading assignment to talk about at your tables. It, it really won't take more than a minute to do. It's the, I want you to read the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Pharisee is a, is a we have, because we've read the Bible enough, if you've been around church, you know Pharisees as bad guys. But Pharisees were considered the good guys. Pharisees were considered the spiritual leaders of the time. And in the background is the tax collector. And we don't really, like, what's the tax collector? Like, the IRS? Like, who cares? Like, what is this guy? But back then, these people were seen as, like, crooked thieves that would steal money for the Roman kingdom, taking it away from the Jews. So, so in some ways, you could say this is a parable of a good spiritual, a seemingly good spiritual leader and, like, a crooked businessman of some kind, like a used car, crooked salesman, just selling anybody anything to get money for himself. And Jesus says that these two men come to a temple. I'm paraphrasing now, but I want you to read it for yourselves in just a second. Um, Jesus says these two men come to the temple to pray. And one of them, the Pharisee, says, I'm just glad that I'm not like this guy, a sinner. And the sinner, all he says is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says one of those two men walked away righteous before the Lord. It was the, the sinner, the one that just asked for mercy from the Lord. Because Jesus calls sinners to repentance, not for good guys to be shown as perfect. And so before the judgment, we are to fall upon the mercy of our God. We are to fall upon his grace because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of his glory. So this is your assignment as you leave. Just as a table, it's just six verses. Pick one person, read these six verses as a table, and then you'll be dismissed. If you want to talk about it further, I think this question 
pairs with just reading yourself into these verses and, and ask each other, how have you been like the tax collector? How have you been like the Pharisee? Because we all have at times been like the sinner, just asking for mercy, knowing that we are not enough on our own. And we have all been, of course, like the Pharisee, pointing our fingers at someone else. So that's your assignment. Let me pray over you, if you don't mind. God, we, we know that you are a truly good God who knows all things, who will make all things right. Now we call upon your mercy. You are an awesome, holy God who loves us, who cares for us. And so, Father, knowing that judgment is to come, we fall upon your mercy. We fall upon you and say, God, have mercy on us, a sinner. And knowing that you are full of love, you are full of grace, you are a holy God who knows everything and will judge correctly. Lord, we praise you. We love you, Lord. And everybody said, Amen. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.